Hi, my name is Rob, and thanks for being with us today at Church at Home. Today we'll be reading Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths and bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Hi, everybody. Good to be with you. My name is Luke. If we haven't met, I serve on the pastoral team here, and I'll be continuing in our series in the book of Psalms. Today, we're looking at Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible in front of you or somewhere nearby, you can crack it open to Psalm 23 and follow along. I do have to admit that taking on Psalm 23 feels a little bit like getting up to sing karaoke and then selecting Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. Most everyone knows it. Most everyone likes it but the chances of doing it any justice feel very slim. Psalm 23 is one of the most popular pieces of scripture in the entire Bible. It's uh, deeply embedded in both the Jewish and the Christian imagination, and it's prayed daily by millions. And since the Psalms have been translated into hundreds of languages, uh, it might be the most influential poem in all of history. And yet, as even such a well-worn path of prayer, Psalm 23 never seems to erode. Of course, that doesn't mean that it always feels fresh. As with other famous bits of literature, uh, familiarity can ironically camouflage their power and meaning. We only need to think about some of Shakespeare's famous words, for example, like in Hamlet, to be or not to be, that is the question. Some of us can quickly recall that line or have a vague recollection of the speech uh, which follows, but others hear only a dated, dusty phrase that we were happy to ignore after high school English. But to be or not to be carries a desperately evocative sentiment, more fitting today than probably ever. The distraught young Prince Hamlet is contemplating suicide with these words. To be or not to be. Life is so painful. Should I go on? How can I be certain life after death will be any better? If you read through Hamlet, or at least hear the lines in context, they hit you as intended. 
They no longer sound like words printed on a dollar store teacup, but as something shared in confidence by a friend about their deepest pain and fear. Now, I share that because even though Psalm 23 is inspired and famous, even though it's clung to by millions around the world, it does still at times become wallpaper. We can be very good at taming scripture, of of turning it fluffy, uncomfortable with the fire. So part of living with scripture is that commitment to take it on its own terms, resisting the temptation to domesticate it. And when we take Psalm 23 seriously, we meet a prayer which refuses to be domesticated. First, let's share a little bit about the author. Scholars give us little reason to doubt that Psalm 23 is the work of the shepherd boy turned king, David. The writer is familiar with the shepherding trade, which serves as this central imagery in the poem. And the scale of the psalm is both earthy and grand. And this picture develops of a providing, protecting, guiding figure, tender and tough, compassionate and emboldening. There's supplemental images about extravagance and solidarity and the confidence which comes with a secure future. And so what we're left with is a depiction of the intimate attention that a shepherd gives their flock and the use of that imagery to express God's attention to the one praying the psalm. Some of the psalms that we find are full of what we could call human action, with some of God's actions scattered throughout, or occasionally just tossed in at the end. I wonder if part of the reason that Psalm 23 endures is because it concentrates so relentlessly on God's action rather than human action. In other words, do we treasure Psalm 23 because it does for us what scripture and prayer do best, which is to direct our vision away from our muddled self-reflection and forward and toward a clear and confident vision of our creator? To quote John the Baptist, does Psalm 23 innately remind us that in our lives of faith, he must become greater, I must become less. And since 23 comes after 22, 22 being a psalm full of of desperation and a sense of abandonment, it seems the organizers of the psalms want us to remember that in times of distress, when we turn the page, we'll find peace by letting God fill up the foreground. A bit about the beginning of the psalm. The first line, the Lord is my shepherd. It's worth paying attention to. We often breeze past words like Lord or God in scripture, and we assume that they mean the same thing. But the Bible's authors use names interchangeably and intentionally. Here, David says, Yahweh is my shepherd, pointing back to Israel's God and his explicit relationship by name and creator to the people that we meet in the book of Exodus. So David isn't describing a detached, unfaced creator. 
He uses the name for the Israelite God who carried a people out of captivity through dangerous territory, providing for them as they went. So the chaotic waters in Genesis 1, the parting waters of the Red Sea in Exodus are replaced by waters of rest in Psalm 23. With that in mind, we find ourselves relating to God with the history of Yahweh and Israel recalled in the very first lines of the poem. So this God isn't abstract or nameless or unreliable, not some kind of undefinable source. This God is named and knowable. Rushing together then, we have both this clear vision of Israel's God and a personal picture of care, all spun together by David through the intimate metaphor of the shepherd. The vision of this shepherd God will get even more specific later when we ask how Psalm 23 plays into our reflections on Jesus. You know, at this point, continuing to explain Psalm 23 feels a little like trying to explain why Mozart or Monet are moving, or like that person who excitedly describes the entire plot to their favorite movie to you. Explanation is helpful, experience is just as important, and if not better at times. So it might be simply important now to invite us to pray Psalm 23 and to see what happens. Familiar or not, what if we took time to pray Psalm 23 each day this week? Take time to just even pray it out loud under our breath. And if we were to do that, let me now maybe just suggest a few things that we can be on the lookout for when we're praying the Psalm. Three things come to mind, three things to be on the lookout for. First, is this sense of compounding blessing. Second, what this psalm might have to do with Jesus. And third, we're going to ask why Psalm 23 is a greatest hit and what we should do and why we should keep praying it. Let's start with that line, compounding blessing. Providing, protecting, nurturing, guiding. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. In many ways, the psalm could just stop there. If Yahweh is the shepherd, the sheep are going to be just fine. But the psalmist expands into the shepherd's detailed activity. And what results is this compounding abundance or blessing running right through the psalm. I have all that I need. After that, we hear of pictures of meadows and streams and renewed strength. In other words, sustenance, genuine needs met. The picture is not then of a God that we pray to, fingers crossed in hopes that our prayers will result in in good crops, but of a figure who is on the front foot, so to speak, when it comes to our well-being. Then we hear mention of, of paths that go the right way, guidance in life. Part of the care of the shepherd is direction, not only concerned with what we live on, but how we live, which is also a very good reminder that we're not our own shepherd. There is one who knows the way 
and it's not us. Following all that, the shepherd not only provides and directs, but does so in less than ideal circumstances. Shadow or Death Valley stands for bitter experiences, darkness in life, the worst of which is the threat of death. But the proximity of the shepherd makes the difference. You are close beside me. Again, this shepherd isn't sleeping on the job. It's never caught off guard when a predator is sniffing around. This shepherd is ready to crack some skulls in our defense. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You know, this makes me think a little of when our girls will go to school in a few years and if little sister were ever to be bullied by a classmate. There's some fire in our firstborn and I have no doubt that big sister would have something to say about how little sister was being treated. Now, Psalm 23's shepherd isn't on the other side of the playground, but much closer. So, renewal, direction, ferocious protection. All those images tumble out and we're left with the impression that not only does this shepherd provide and guide and defend, but the psalmist takes into account the painful realities of life's hardships. Psalm 23 feels at times like sunny weather. It feels like green grass, a trickling brook. But it also feels at times like foreboding rain clouds, unfamiliar territory, danger, around the corner. What we hear, however, when the clouds are gathering, when the wolf is lurking, is that with this shepherd, we have a safe haven in which to sit and eat, and nothing can get at us. The sense is that whatever we might be intimidated by is intimidated by this shepherd. Look out, playground bully. Big sister is nearby. Topping it off, we hear the language of extravagance and blessing. Oil on the head, both for soothing and for healing. A cup, not half full or half empty, but overflowing. So pessimist or optimist, blessing is a fact with this shepherd. And something strangely as described in the psalm, uncontainable. What results from this run of imagery, as I said, is a sense of compounding abundance or blessing. Again, we have to stress that the psalmist isn't delusional. David knew full well what Death Valley smelt like, what enemies conspiring in the dark sounded like. But in the end, David writes in this psalm that every evil cowers because the shepherd is beside, the intimidator of what's intimidating. On to Jesus, as I said, and, and connections to Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is never directly referenced by Jesus or others in connection to him, uh, though the image of Israel's God as shepherd is found scattered throughout the scriptures. So if Jesus is Yahweh among his people, as the Gospels would lead us to believe, uh, we're bound to discover that those images are somewhat tied up together in places. 
For example, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four Gospels, the only one of Jesus' miracles to end up in all four of them. Mark and Matthew make this special note that Jesus had the people sit down on the green grass, possibly evoking images from Psalm 23. Is that meant to remind us of Yahweh's provision for Israel, now seen through Jesus? If it is, Yahweh as shepherd comes along indirectly. Earlier, I mentioned that the vision of Yahweh as shepherd in Psalm 23 is a very specific one, not a nameless, careless one. Well, here we have Jesus. Faced and bodied is no metaphor, making our knowledge of God even more specific, literally fleshed out. Jesus is named and knowable. He's as named and as knowable as they come. And when we follow Jesus around in the Gospels, we certainly don't meet a domesticated shepherd, but a ferocious, compassionate, resolute figure, startling and strange compared to everybody else around him. Which is why I think it's so painful and confusing when Jesus is misrepresented especially by those of us who claim to be shepherds trying to follow him. That pain and confusion is part of why we need things like the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. In much of our shared history in this country, Jesus has been misrepresented. At times, is still very much misrepresented now. It's all too easy to get the wrong idea about how God does things by not taking Jesus seriously enough in the Gospels. Look at what we do when we take our eyes off of the real Jesus and imagine that God would somehow be pleased with the oppression and abuse of children. We need to acknowledge the fallout of that misrepresentation and failure the pain and confusion that that so many people carry today, and to discover forgiveness and healing together in the real Jesus. Continuing on, uh, of course, Jesus uh, does use shepherding imagery for himself, though not directly drawing from Psalm 23. John 10 would be the standout example. I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. I lay down my life for my sheep. Read John 10 closely and the description of an incomparable shepherd comes through. For Jesus, everyone in Israel's history before him were like hired hands, running at the first sign of trouble. Not him. Going even further, he says that all of Israel's past leaders were so far off the mark, they were more like sheep stealers, thieves, than a true shepherd. He'll do what none of them did. He'll die for the sheep. And then he'll pick his life back up again. That's the incomparable shepherd that we see in Jesus. The dramatic climax of all four Gospels is that even death, the ultimate enemy, is not only intimidated by Jesus, 
but is decidedly defeated by him through his death and resurrection. Jesus, tender and tough, compassionate and emboldening. That's the shepherd of the church to which we each belong as people of faith. As Kirsten said last week, we need a big enough vision of him to live for and live under. So whatever intimidates any of us is intimidated by our good shepherd, Jesus. Thinking on all that, I, I don't think it's, it's any wonder why we turn to Psalm 23 when we're upset or we need reassuring then. And why we're likely to hear 23 read at a funeral or see it printed on a gravestone next door in the, in the cemetery. It's not just a sunny little psalm. It's emboldening for anyone with chattering teeth and knocking knees. Surely, goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Last week, when I was chatting with Ricky, he mentioned that a possible translation of the phrase, pursue me or follow me, is also stalk me. So if we're hunted by anything in the big picture, we're hunted by God's goodness and kindness. And if the Christian is templing Jesus by his Holy Spirit, we're always at home with God, wherever we might find ourselves. Finally now, uh, you know, why is Psalm 23 a greatest hit? And why should we keep praying it? Well, I think that Psalm 23 works for a number of reasons. First, the author knows what they're talking about. Uh, a few weeks ago, we mentioned that honesty is a key ingredient in both poetry and prayer. And this is an honest poem and prayer. David knows about shepherding and he knows about trusting God, even though he gets it wrong from time to time, just like you and me. It's unlikely that 23 was written in David's younger years uh, and seems as though he'd seen some rough times before he wrote it down. So it's honest, but it also works because I think it's a short, consistent poem with really one carrying metaphor. And when it comes to the technical proficiency that's needed in a good poems, 23, I think really does deserve its place in literary history. But it's more than an honest and technically sound poem, isn't it? 23 doesn't just stick with us because it's authentic or well-crafted. It sticks with us because it's true. It's integral to God's character. And that brings us back to 23's endurance because it focuses relentlessly on God's action rather than human action directing our vision away from our muddled self-reflection toward a vision of a reliable God known through Jesus. Psalm 23 is true. It sticks because the character it concentrates on is integral and reliable. Deep in our spirits, we know this reliable and kind character is the very foundation 
of the universe itself. I talked with a friend last week who faced a hard season recently. And he shared that he thought that his younger self would likely have crumbled under the challenges that he's facing today. But then he went on to say how each night he's been following an intention to, uh, as he put it, just sit with Jesus. Just sit with Jesus. And I said that in this dark spot that I could see the evidence of how he was being sustained, of how he was being protected and guided. I could tell that he had been feasting at that table that had been set up for him in the middle of adversity. And I could see in him a maturity of faith growing weekly. In other words, I could tell that he'd been hanging around Jesus. You know, some people say that a life of faith is just wishful thinking, that faith itself is a crutch. And you know, I have to agree. But who doesn't use a crutch in life? We've all got them. What's compelling evidence to me are, are all of the lives of faith over the many thousands of years across hundreds of cultures which have leaned on Jesus through scriptures like Psalm 23 and found the energy and resolve to keep going. The question is not whether or not you have a crutch. The question is what's the integrity of your crutch, the truth of it? Leaning on the good shepherd, leaning ultimately on Jesus, I see person after person around me who's finding the energy and resolve, the spirit, to keep going. Some of you are doing that right now. You've got reason to despair, to give up, to ask to be or not to be. But then you turn to your shepherd and you're steadied. The evidence of God is in meadows and in streams and in full cups, absolutely. But it's also in you. Look at you, up on that sharp hillside or walking through shadow valley. You don't have a feeble crutch. You've got a shepherd with a rod and a staff. You're not leaning on your own strength. You're carried. I don't really care if people think that I'm weak. I don't have to be the strong one. That job's already being done for me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. 